There was a short-lived TV show a while back. It was called Secret Millionaire, which was a kind of a redo of the old millionaire show. And the premise of it was that they would send somebody out to tell some person that they were going to receive a gift of a million dollars. Now, most folks would think that would be a, kind of a, a joyous thing. And yet, the funny part of the show was many of the people who were told, you're getting a million dollars, were not that excited. They were, in fact, hostile towards the person that told them that because they thought that it was a cruel hoax and that they were just getting their hopes up for nothing to dash them down. So they were, they were skeptical. They were doubting that the good news was too good to be true. That's Easter Sunday morning and the days following. We see that there are all kinds of examples of doubt. We may have had the smell of Easter lilies and the sound of hallelujahs and you know, everything else for the Easter blowout, but at the root of all of this, you wouldn't think there would be so much doubt, but there is doubt. There's a lot of doubt. I'll give you some examples. The women went to the tomb. They thought that they were going to uh, anoint Jesus. They got there, the body was gone. They didn't think he had risen from the dead. They thought somebody took him. So then the angels told them, oh no, Jesus is risen from the dead. So they went and told the disciples, Jesus is risen from the dead. The disciples' reaction? No, no, no. They considered it an idle tale. And they, you know, women, of course, in that culture weren't listened to anyway. I mean, they, they actually, they could not even testify in court. They were thought to be too emotional and unreliable. So, you know, emotional Mary, histrionic Mary, hallucinating Mary, nah, we're not going to listen to that kind of stuff. They doubted. Then, the next day, the disciples are huddled for fear behind locked doors, and uh, suddenly, without coming through the door, Jesus appears to them. Well, uh, are they excited? Are they, you know, slapping one another on the back and saying, see, told you he'd come back. What was it, fourth day, third day? Who had third day in the pool? You win. No, they weren't doing that. They were, they were scared witless, and they thought they were seeing a ghost, one of the other Gospels tells us. And Jesus had to say to them, Shalom, peace be with you. And then they, were, they settled down a little bit, and they were, then they rejoiced. But unfortunately, one of the 11 that was left, Judas was already dead, one of the eleven, Thomas, the twin, was not there. And so then they told Thomas, hey, we've seen the Lord. And Thomas said, no, no, unless I put my finger in the nail holes and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And for this, Thomas becomes the poster boy of doubt from, from there on. When I was a kid in confirmation class in Sunday school, I had the distinct impression that Thomas was only maybe one or two notches above the traitor Judas. And that I got the message very plainly in the old German church. Don't be like Thomas. Don't doubt. The problem was I did doubt. <laughs> and I still doubt. And, you know, I still have questions. Well, you couldn't have any questions. When I was in prep school, if you had questions that seemed like they were maybe not orthodox, actual students would begin chanting, heretic, heretic. Did they do that with you, Herb, when you were in? No. Well, they did. This, this was Milwaukee. Uh, heretic. You, you couldn't question anything. You couldn't have any doubts. And yet they were there. So Thomas gets, gets the knock for this. But yet, really, that's, not, that's so unfair. Thomas was not asking for anything more than any of the other disciples had. 
He simply wanted to come to faith on his own. He wanted to see, they got a chance to do this. Why couldn't he? That's all he was asking for, nothing more. And the odd thing is, when Jesus did actually appear again and Thomas was there, Thomas didn't even do this. He saw the Lord, saw the risen Christ and said, My Lord and my God. Great confession of faith. He didn't even need it, but he needed to see him. The other thing I think about Thomas, he, Thomas is probably my favorite disciple, by the way. Uh, next is Andrew, but, who simply said, come and see. But Thomas, I believe, is the bravest, the most courageous of all the disciples. If you will remember back when uh, Jesus said, oh, Lazarus is sick unto death, we better go back to Bethany and see what we can do there. And the disciples said, well, I don't think that's a very good idea. Those fellows are looking about killing us over there in Bethany. And it, remember, it was Thomas who said, let us go with him that we may also die with him. Thomas and Mary, Lazarus' sister, are the only two that ever do seem to get it, that Jesus is probably going to die. And Thomas goes a step further than that and says, not only that, I'm willing to go die with him. He is resigned to his fate that if you, if you go where Jesus goes, you might get what Jesus got. He is resigned to that, and he was willing to do that. Let's, let's go with him, that we may also die with him. Another evidence of his courage is that, well, Thomas is the only one who's gone from behind locked doors when Jesus comes the first time. We don't know what he was out there doing. Maybe he was just taking the temperature of the city to see how hot it was for the disciples, or maybe he had to see his mother or visit his girlfriend or go get groceries. We might be here for quite a while. Who knows? But, he was, but the fact remains, he was out there. He was the only one with guts enough to get out from behind closed doors. So I like Thomas's courage, and I like the fact that he has to come to faith for himself. He doesn't just take it. It's like all of us. We, our parents may believe something, but eventually we have to say to ourselves, this isn't just what they believe. I believe this. This is my faith. And Thomas did that. The other thing about Thomas is that he is a realist. He knows that when you're dead, you're dead, and that's it. And he's accepting of that. And, you know, what do we do now? Do we, how, do we, how do we go on from here? Thomas is a realist. So there is so much doubt all around uh, Easter Sunday and the days after. You wouldn't think there would be that much, but there is. Plain, simple doubt. And that's not all bad. Here's the comforting thought for all of us today. Don't we all have doubts from time to time? I mean, maybe you don't admit those in church, but you know, because you're supposed to look good and smell good here. But don't we all have doubts from time to time? Like, is all this stuff in the Bible, is this really real? Or is this just stuff people told us? If God is such a good God, how come there's so much evil still in the world? Why, why do my parents have to suffer horribly before they died? Why, why do children have to be killed? And, and when I say my prayers, how come I don't seem to get action like I should have? I mean, is it just me? Or do the rest of you ever have moments where you think, wow, I don't know. But here's the comforting thought. Doubt is always a part of faith. I'll say this more strongly. You cannot have faith without doubt being a part of it. Because if you didn't have any doubt, it would be knowledge. And faith, by definition, means you cannot know. You simply have to believe and trust. 
If you could know, it wouldn't be faith. It'd be knowledge. Faith always has an element of doubt in it. And yet, trusting and going ahead anyway. That's faith. It's not, it's not this certainty. We may sing the song, I know that my Redeemer lives. But actually what we're meaning is, I believe that my Redeemer lives. If we could know it, it wouldn't be faith. But we, we, we believe it with such certainty that it almost becomes like knowledge. I know. I know. When you trust in somebody and they promise to be there for you, you I, I know they're going to be here. Well, actually, you believe they're going to be here. But you know it. But you believe it pretty certainly. So, so doubt is, is part of faith. That's all right. Thomas does not change from being a realist. He stays a realist. But what changes is reality itself. It used to be that there's only two certain things in life, death and taxes. Now it's just taxes because death is no more. The resurrection has changed everything. That's why we talk about the Sundays of Easter in these next Sundays. We don't talk about the Sundays after Easter because Easter is not a day. It's a transformation. It's a state of being. It's a whole new way of looking at things. The Easter message colors everything. It colors everything we believe about what is important in life, in this life, and then what is important in the life to come. Easter colors everything in terms of the way we look at death, that it's not a, a certain cutting off and an utter severing, that it's just a gateway we're going through to better life and more life. Easter colors everything. Thomas's reality was changed, and so is ours. So we can sing our hallelujahs today, and we can praise God that we have a different outlook on life than anybody has ever had before. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.